Hey, Vanessa here. I can't believe it, but Nocturne is heading into its eighth year, and we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of being an independent podcast again, after parting ways with our friends at KCRW. It was a bittersweet parting in the midst of a tumultuous year, but I'm here to say that I celebrate you, Nocturne listeners, and I really, really celebrate the amazing folks who support this show by donating what they can to help me keep making it. So in the spirit of celebration, we're having a limited time special offer on Patreon for the next month. I've made delightful little Nocturne treat bags with beautiful Nocturne stickers and some other little surprises. And if you join and support the show on Patreon in the next 30 days at the $5 a month tier or higher, you'll get all the existing benefits and I'll send you one of these bags of treats along with a handwritten note expressing my tremendous gratitude. Head over to patreon.com slash nocturne podcast now to become a regular supporter. Again, that's patreon.com slash nocturne podcast. This offer is also available to existing patrons increasing their pledge to $5 a month or more. If you already support Nocturne at that level and this special offer makes you sad, please let me know that you really want a sticker because I don't want you to be sad. Email me at vanessa at nocturnepodcast.org. I need to make a disclaimer here. The story you're about to hear is about something that is dangerous, illegal, and I don't recommend it. At all. You're listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. and I did a tandem skydive in Chicago because my friend wanted to do one for his birthday. So when they opened the door of the airplane, you get this rush of cold air that, you know, when you're flying on a commercial airline, you don't, they don't open the doors. If they do, there's something that's gone really seriously wrong. But, you know, you get this blast of cold air and there's this particular smell that comes with being at that high of an altitude. It's just really crisp air. And so, you know, I can remember that pretty uh, distinctly, even though that was almost 13 years ago. And, you know, they start scooching you toward the door and you don't really have much say in this because you're strapped to a person who's pushing you slowly toward this door. And then they'll get you in the door and then they'll do the count and they'll go three, two, one. And, um, you know, at that point, your brain just is taking in so much information Uh, that it's never experienced before that you just some people almost black out a little bit but the brain does this weird thing where it it just it's releasing all these chemicals to try and get you to just be able to adapt to what it the brain thinks is you jumping to your death um when really it's you know it's just a tandem skydive but at the time it it was you know they put you in the door and it was like oh man i don't know if i want to do this but it's like anything in life, right? That's scary. As soon as you take the first step and you get into that unknown realm, you know, magic happens and you go, oh wait, this really isn't as bad as I thought it was gonna be. So in the actual free fall, you're, you know, you're screaming, you're smiling, you're drooling, and 
just all these all these wonderful things are happening and the parachute opens and then your brain is trying to process the fact that you know you went up in an airplane but now you're here floating in the sky like a bird so it's a very you know the first time you do that it's a very powerful experience the moment that your foot leaves the plane and you're committed to the jump it's a very liberating moment you've just taken a, a big leap both you know physically and metaphorically into a, an unknown area of your life and it's very special that that moment where it clicks where you're going oh i was just totally freaked out about this and now i'm falling through the sky attached to another person and the brain goes Wee! and i'm having a really good time and <laughs> instantly there was a recognition in the brain of, of, ooh, I really like the way this makes me feel. It really just shatters your perception of just what is possible. So my name is Danny Weiland. I live in Denver, Colorado, uh, 35 years old, and uh, massage therapist and commercial residential painter by trade. So jack of all trades. That first skydiving experience set Danny on course to do something that most people would never dream of doing, something that for most people would actually be seriously terrifying, and for good reason. So base jumping is a parachute activity where we jump off of fixed objects. Of course, most, most people will never do it. I feel compelled to say it one more time. This is super dangerous and illegal, and just please don't do it. Base jumping, you are jumping off of um, either a building, an antenna, um, a span, which most people know as a bridge, or a piece of earth. And so most of the time you will hike or climb to the top of these objects and then jump off and deploy your parachute um, and then float to the ground and land safely. At least that's the goal. It doesn't always happen that way. I've jumped. We're getting close to 700 base jumps. You know, there was a couple years where I didn't make one base jump. Um, <clears throat> it, it ebbs and flows. It's, you know, when you're in it, you're totally in it. And then, you know, if somebody close to you dies, there's definitely a, a withdrawal from the sport. And then you slowly start to get back into it. Danny knows a lot of people who have died base jumping, including his friend John. My best friend who introduced me and actually taught me how to base jump. He passed away five years ago from base jumping. Yeah, he had a, uh, an accident in Europe. And um, he, was, he was everybody's everything, so that was a really hard loss for everybody. Danny met John at a skydiving center in Colorado, and then John became his mentor. He took him on his first base jump. The first jump, you just, you just don't know what you don't know type of a thing. And I think going into base jumping with skydiving experience, you sort of think like, oh, it's going to be like a skydive. And then when you actually get to the base jump, you realize very quickly, like, this is a very different animal. Um, there's a lot more fear, there's a lot more doubt, there's a lot more just, you know, just hormones and neurotransmitters that you don't really know how to um, regulate yet that are <laughs> coursing through your body. And so, it, it, you know, the first jump or two, you're really excited, but you're also just really terrified because you just don't know what's going to happen. You don't have that much information. So the first jump that we went on was at the, it's called the Prine Bridge. It's in Idaho, Twin Falls, Idaho. And it's one of the only 100% fully legal base jumping sites in the United States. Um, for whatever reason, this town has taken it upon themselves to kind of open their arms and welcome our community, which, you know, we really appreciate, but definitely not the norm. 
So it's a 486-foot bridge, and you've got these cars and semis that are whizzing by you at 65 miles an hour. And, you know, you're voluntarily climbing over this, um, it's probably a four-foot railing, probably comes up to, you know, just higher than your, your belly button. And, you know, you got all this gear on, and you have to very carefully step over this bridge one leg at a time. And now you're on the other side of the bridge, so you're looking straight down and, you know, see you in 486 feet of just space. And I think once you're holding on to the railing and you look down and you realize that, okay, I chose to be here, I signed up for this, and uh, I'm the one that actually has to do this. You know, in, in skydiving, there's, there's a bunch of people behind you and a, a light goes on that goes from red to green. Once it goes green, everybody starts jumping out of the airplane at different intervals. With base jumping, it's, you know, it's not like that. There's no green light, it's just go when you're ready. And so you are the one that has to, you know, make the decision to count down from three to two to one, and then, you know, jump off into the abyss and start your base jumping career. And, you know, once you, once you learn how to do that, it's just, <laughs> 10 years later and here we are. But the first time it didn't feel great for me. It was more like, oh God, I can't believe I'm doing this. Three, two, one, okay. You know, the first couple times will we'll normally send your stomach into your throat because when you jump off of something in base jumping, you get the pull of gravity just ripping you down toward the earth. As opposed to on an airplane, you're already going, you know, close to a hundred miles an hour into the relative air. So when you jump out, there's already like wind resistance. And so you don't get the sensation that you are falling into space. But of course you have to stay very focused through all this, you know, because your life depends on it. It isn't that Danny instantly liked that feeling of having his stomach in his throat. Not in the beginning, but you learn, you, you learn to love it. Um, because the reality is, is that the scariest part of the base jump is everything leading up to the actual jump itself. So thinking about the jump, you know, the anticipation of walking toward the jump, getting to the exit point, all of those things are way, way scarier than when your feet leave the object. Because when your feet leave the object, what happens is, you know, you've got this rapid heart rate, you're breathing really hard, your mind is often racing, but as soon as your feet leave the object that you are jumping off of, there is this total silence, total peace, um, total acceptance, and, and total focus. And, you know, the, the, the amount of laser focus that you get from putting yourself in that situation is so stimulating. Um, you know, the big misconception is like, oh, it's the adrenaline, you're chasing the adrenaline. It's like, eh, not necessarily. Like, the adrenaline is part of it, but it really is um, just a peaceful, present experience. I mean, there's, there's nothing else that your brain can actually focus on except what's happening around you. Yeah, it's magic. I mean, you're jumping into just magic is what, is what I call it. How much magic depends on how high an object you're jumping off of. You know, with base jumping, you can jump off things that are low. And the lower the object, obviously, the shorter the amount of time you get to spend in the air. 
Vice versa, the higher the object, the more time you get to spend flying your body. Some of the lowest things I've jumped is 160 feet, but you're starting to get into an area where if there was a mistake, you just don't really have enough altitude to fix the mistake safely, and then you get into trouble. And, you know, the setup for that's a little bit different than going to a place like Europe and jumping off, you know, a 3,000-foot cliff. But really, I think the magic comes when you are, you know, flying through the air for <laughs> minutes at a time versus counting the experience in seconds. So very, very different, but both, both very enjoyable. Base jumping is, let's say it again, illegal. And being in trouble with the law is expensive and it's just a pain. So the whole point of jumping at nighttime is to avoid that, right? If we could jump during the daytime and not get in trouble, chances are a lot of people would prefer that. That, that being said, you know, night jumps are really special because just the sensory perception is so different. And without getting to experience it, it's hard to really articulate how um, heightened it is at nighttime, just because, you know, you can't see. You don't have all that distraction. And so when you're falling through the air at nighttime, you can really, I mean, you can feel the air on your skin in a way that you can't really feel during the day. You can hear sounds that uh, you would never think that you could possibly hear um, because they're so small. Like I've heard crickets in free fall, but the coolest thing that you're going to get to hear is the sound of your body slicing through the air. And so as your body falls faster and faster, obviously you jump and it's silent the first moment that you jump. And as you continue to fall, it gets louder and louder and louder and louder. It's like basically starting a jet engine and standing in front of it and just gets louder and louder and louder and then all of a sudden it stops. Your parachute opens and it's totally silent. And the parachute opening itself is extremely loud, especially at nighttime, it sounds like a shotgun. And when you're under that parachute and that, that bang goes off, you know you're safe for the most part. Once you orient yourself to the direction that you want to go and it's, it's just, it's a, it's a lot to process in the beginning because your brain goes, wait a minute, like we were just, we were just up there and now we're down here and it was quiet and it was loud, now it's quiet again. I, you know, he hearing myself talk about it out loud in this way makes me sound like a crazy person, but it's just so satisfying. It's just so enjoyable. But at the same time, because you can't see where you're going, I should rephrase, you can see, but you can't see as well. Your brain starts to just become a little more active in the areas of fear and doubt. And all of those sensations are definitely elevated, at least for me at nighttime. And it can be very uh, ungrounding and unner unnerving. And it makes you question like, should we, should we be doing this? Like, is this, you know, is this okay? And, Again, your rational brain goes, hey, we just did this like seven times during the day. Like nothing's really changing, but for some reason, it's a totally different experience right now. So yeah, again, during the day, you know, you can perceive things a little bit better. Um, and in the event that there was any issue with your parachute, um, however minor or major, you'd be able to, you'd be able to see it. You'd be able to deal with it a lot better. And you know, that gives you more confidence. So when night falls, you know, you, you don't have that same luxury. And 
you know, if something goes south, however minor, you, you just, you have to deal with it the best you can. You can't really see much. So you need to be able to feel what's happening because the, for me, the sensations that are happening in your body um, are going to give you a lot more information than necessarily what you see. You know, you just trust, you trust your intuition, you trust your instincts, you're trusting your procedures that you've become comfortable doing, and you just have to have faith that it's going to work the same way it did when it was light outside. And, and most of the time it does. While base jumpers leap from bridges and antennae, tall buildings offer multiple challenges. So sneaking into buildings, that's a lot of fun. I think I jumped my first building. I had 120 base jumps. And we jumped uh, this beautiful 560-foot condo right on uh, Lakeshore Drive in Chicago. Yeah, and we, uh, you know, you've got the lake there. You can see all the boats. And it's just one of those situations where you're standing on top of a building at nighttime and uh, you know everybody else is doing normal stuff, right? You know so-and-so is coming home from the bar. You can see people riding their bikes coming home from whatever they're doing. And you're like, wow, the, the decisions in my life have led me to be on top of a building in the middle of the night <laughs> doing all of this stuff. There's a couple buildings in downtown Chicago. I, I, don't, I don't know that I want to reveal the names of the buildings. Right on Wacker, Upper Wacker Drive, there's a couple really good hotels. I'm like 500 feet right along the river. That's a 50-story building. Yeah, it's basically 10 foot per story. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, the access is, it's pretty easy. You know, you just walk into a hotel, act like you belong there, and take the elevator to the top. And then you, uh, you find your way onto the roof. And once you're onto the roof, you know that you're, you're going to be good to go. So I think in the course of a year living in Chicago, we probably jumped about six or seven different buildings pretty consistently. One memorable jump wasn't notable so much for its height as for its level of difficulty in a couple of ways. So a friend of mine and myself were in Chicago, and we were looking at a hotel that we had always looked at. It wasn't very high, 30 stories. But it, it was very cool and it was very technical, meaning you really had to execute a high-level jump because the landing area was very small, and if you overshot the landing area, you would be in a, in a very raw construction site. So we had gone into this hotel, and, you know, as much as you want to pretend like you belong when you walk into a hotel with a parachute on your back, you, you have it in a bag, right? It's not just the raw parachute with your leg straps on, like you're, you're walking in and you're trying to be pretty low profile. So a lot of the times you'll carry the parachute in its case, almost like a duffel bag. But when you see two guys walk into the same hotel with the same duffel bag being carried the same way, it's kind of like, huh, the eyebrows go up, you know? And it was Saturday night. I remember because there was a ton of party in downtown. I think this was probably around midnight, so kind of on the earlier side. It's not like, you know, you're not walking into a hotel during uh, rush hour. Like, you're you're seen by all. And we go into this hotel, and the clerk is like, hey, you know, can we help you? And we're like, oh, yeah, we're just heading up to our room. And, you know, you could tell that uh, we didn't know where we were going. 
And you know, this clerk was sort of like, okay. And you know, we go up to the top floor and we're walking around looking for the roof. And another person comes up, probably that had been, you know, alerted from the first person that like, hey, these two guys look a little weird. I don't think they knew that we were going to base jump. But you know, when you're when you're meandering through a hotel with a strange backpack that matches your friends and you're you're jiggling doors and you're opening up stairwells, it's just it, it's a red flag, right? So, you know, this other gentleman asks us, like, do you guys need help? And we're like, oh no, we were just going for a walk. And you know, again, you're just you're trying you're trying your best to blend in, but what you're doing is not normal. Really, there's no blending in, right? You just have to do your best to act like you belong. And so, you know, we're like, no, we're good. We're just killing time. Waiting for our friend to get back and we don't want to hang out in the room. You know, he's just like, we need your room number and we need your last name. We're like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we're actually just getting ready to leave. At that point, the guy was like, okay, you guys are full of shit. <laughs> Please leave the hotel. So, you know, we take the elevator down, we get off at the floor below. So we basically just ducked down one floor. We ran back up the stairs. So now, now we're on the roof and got our stuff on real fast. And at that point, you don't know, you know, is that person still following us? Like, does he know what's going on? So you're, you're just kind of trying to hurry. And, you know, at, at that point, we heard the door open and we turned around and uh, luckily he didn't see us, but he, he'd obviously followed to some degree. But, you know, we haven't been spotted because we were down below these, these big ducting systems, but someone has opened that door. And so at this point, we're looking at each other like, should we just like go jump? Should we wait? And so, you know, obviously in our, in our rational brains, we're like, hey, it's nighttime. No one's running around looking for people jumping off of buildings. You know, like he probably just thinks we're, we're urban explorers running around trying to cause trouble. But, um, you know, eventually the door closes and we, we kind of wait five minutes. And, you know, five minutes at that point seems like forever. And, um, we peek our little heads out and we don't see anything happening. We're like, okay, like at this point, our brains are saying, okay, is this person going to like call the cops? Are there going to be cops waiting on the ground? But you have to make a decision. It's like, well, the sooner we go, the sooner we can get out of here. So I jumped first because my friend had reservations about what to do under his parachute. Cause he, he's like, that's just, that's a technical landing. I said, yeah, but you'll be fine. Once you get a hang of how um, base jumping canopies work, you know, you can actually get really accurate with your landing. I mean, you can, you can put it down, uh, you know, within a three square foot area if you want to. So we jumped off the building. landed and unfortunately you have to sink your parachute and land right in front of the hotel and I'm talking right in front of the doors and so we both land and we both look inside and the clerk who had asked us like hey can we help you guys <laughs> makes the recognition of like oh you guys and you know we're on the ground like screwing up our parachute it's like okay we got to get the hell out of here and everybody on the ground is cheering and you know the hotel staff is starting to congregate inside and you know then we see people starting to run toward us and it's like oh time to go 
And so we just, you know, we ran with our stuff and we ran down the road and, you know, we got away and nothing happened. The reaction of people on the street when they see Danny and his friends float down from the top of a city building continues to be a source of curiosity and some delight. You know, in your mind, you're doing something that's very wrong and you're doing something that's very illegal. But the response that you get is, you know, very much the opposite. (laughs) The response you get from the public is like, yay, hooray, like you guys are heroes. And it's like, it's strange, but it's, it's just an exciting thing to see. You know, it's nighttime, you're going about your normal night, and all of a sudden it's just this shotgun blast after shotgun blast, and you look up and there's people flying parachutes in downtown. And that's just, that's just so special, right? Like that doesn't, that's not something that happens every day. And I think it is like everybody's inner child starts to dance a little bit. And I don't know that it's so much like, yeah, you're sticking it to the man versus, wow, like that's, I used to dream about doing that as a kid. Like, you guys are flying. Like, everyone wants to fly. (laughs) When it comes to jumping off of buildings for fun, of course, falling to one's death is not the only risk. If you're not careful, you could come down right in front of a moving car or truck. Drivers are not generally on the lookout for people coming from above. Normally you do this and avoid very busy roads. So you'll, you'll choose your building selection based on like, hey, this building jumps into a park or this building jumps into a cul-de-sac. Like, you're not gonna choose a building that jumps onto an expressway. Like, that would be a very ignorant thing to do. Um, not only for your own safety, but for the safety of, you know, everybody driving who thinks that they're just gonna be driving and not encountering, you know, parachutists landing in the expressway. So there's a lot of judgment that goes into choosing that, but you have what's called ground crew which is normally other base jumpers who either decide not to jump that night or skydivers who just don't base jump, but want to watch the base jump. And what the ground crew does is you have a radio or a cell phone and you'll radio to your people on the ground and say, hey, we're getting ready to jump. You know, there's four of us. You know, you trust your ground crew and they will, uh, for most of the time, once they see you in the air and they know, they have a projection of where you're gonna land, A good ground crew will, you know, make sure that if there's a car coming, they will stop any cars that might be going on the same path and they'll just stop them in the road and explain to them like, hey guys, like, sorry to stop you, but you know, look up. (laughs) And nine, nine times out of 10, the people in the cars are like, wow, that's so cool. Thanks for stopping us. But, you know, that, that is a risk, and that's one of the reasons that most space jumpers choose to jump really, really late at night, because 2, 3 in the morning, there's really not a lot going on in the world. So it's just safer for everybody. Safer is a relative term, though. You know, I've been jumping for almost 10 years now, and I still, I still get nervous before jumps. It sounds so silly. It's like, oh, you've done this so many times. But, you know, you still get that, that heart rate increase. Your palms get a little sweaty. And uh, I think it would be abnormal to get to the edge of a jump and have no feeling. I think if you ever get to that point in your jumping career, you should probably stop. I mean, you have to be alert and oriented to a pretty high degree in order to uh, get yourself out of trouble should something go wrong. The thing about base jumping is when everything goes right, it looks really easy. But when things go wrong, 
they go wrong and they happen so quickly and compound so intensely that if you don't react and respond right away, um, you know, just a normal run-of-the-mill jump can turn into a really, really bad situation. No matter how experienced you are at base jumping, there's no denying that every single time you jump, you're risking your life. The fear is that if you keep doing something for long enough that's you know, high risk that you're gonna get uh, injured or, you know, killed. Yeah, that's def- I think that's definitely a thought that goes through a lot of base jumpers' minds much more often than, uh, you know, a normal person. I don't know that a normal person walks around once or twice a week and, you know, contemplates like, oh, what would happen if I died tomorrow? Like, what would, what would it do to my friends? What would it do to my family? I think the hardest thing would be to be a parent. Danny's parents have been supportive, as is his girlfriend. I, it's one of those things where when, when people who love you in your life see something that makes you happy, um, you know, it's really hard to tell someone not to do something that really sets their soul on fire. It doesn't mean that you love it. You know, I've, I've seen friends, close friends, get uh, really nasty injuries. Um, that's taken them years to recover from. And there are, you know, there are times where you're like, man, base jumping has caused, uh, caused a lot of good and you know, quite a bit of bad, but it's how you take the, the, the information coming in and what you do with it. And you know, I, I, can't, uh, I can't say that I would wanna do it any other way because as morbid as it sounds, when you think about that stuff, um, it really gives you a much better opportunity to live more fully and put the things that are important into perspective. And for me, you know, that's friends, family, health, and helping people. At a certain point, even the most ardent base jumper has to come to terms with the fact that the risks may no longer outweigh the joys. You know, I'm 35. I've been, I've been base jumping for 10 years this May. You know, the, the consequences for a 27-year-old man versus a 40-year-old man are going to be very different. You know, I didn't really get into my career until a couple years ago, and so before I really had a serious career, I was just working to play. But once you have a little bit more established of a career and you're a little bit older, um, you know, the sneaking around stuff just doesn't have the same appeal to it. It's still fun. I still love it so much, but I definitely do not foresee that I will do this forever. I just don't. I've slowed down a ton. You know, in the beginning, it was all I could do and all I can think about. And, you know, as you grow up a little bit, you realize that, like, oh, there's, there's a lot more to life than just jumping off of stuff. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. Thank you to Sarah Jertsen, who gave me the idea for this episode and connected me with a bunch of lovely base jumpers. Finally, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, starting today, we are running a 30-day special offer on Patreon. 
Sign up to support us at the $5 a month level or higher and receive all the regular benefits, plus a limited time goodie bag of Nocturne stickers and other cool stuff. Benefits include monthly nightlight bonus episodes. And the next one is an extra base jumping story that sort of blows my mind. This offer goes until October 22nd, which incidentally is my birthday. So sign up by then to become a regular supporter at patreon.com slash nocturne podcast and get some extra treats because listeners like you make it possible for me to keep making Nocturne. That's patreon.com slash Nocturne podcast. Till next time, thanks for your support and thanks for listening. <laughs>